Hey, I'm Kelly Hausman. I'm a licensed therapist and a mom, and I'm trying to figure out this whole life thing right alongside you. I'm taking my unique approach to therapy, where we laugh a lot, we cry a lot, we talk about anything and everything, right from my couch to your car, or wherever you might be listening from. Hey, no appointment or copay is required. We're gonna have some experts in their fields giving us advice about how they got to where they are, the lessons they've learned along the way, and things that we can all add to our lives to make it more enriched. My goal is to help you to get advice, to be inspired, and get a much needed break from reality. So take a seat, your session is about to begin. This episode of Kelly's Reality, we have an incredibly inspiring guest for you guys today, Jose Lugo. He is the founder of We Are All One Story, which we're going to explain to you guys what that is. He's also a motivational speaker and author. His first book is about to launch in February. So he really is an incredible story of triumphing over some of the most difficult things you can go through. So Jose, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, you truly do have an incredible story to tell. And, you know, I could sit and, and spit your bio out, but I think it would be great to hear your story. I mean, you came from an L.A. gang member at age 16, um, five years in prison, then going back to prison for a DUI and kind of hitting yeah. some of the lowest points of your life. So yeah. can you just kind of give us a brief background of um, how 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 far you've come and what you've gone through. Yeah, well, you know, I'm born and raised um, in LA. I'm currently in Denver right now, but I was born and raised in LA. I was one of six. Um, my parents divorced when I was five. Um, after my parents divorced, you know, my mom had to raise us on her own. And, um, you know, she became a pretty strict disciplinarian um, and she was, you know, physically abusive. That's how she saw fit to raise us. And, and, um, you know, she did the best she could do at the time. And eventually, though, the the consistent um, physical abuse, you know, I ended up pretty much, you know, giving that back out, you know, through, you know, gang violence. Um, it was normal to me. You know, I, I grew up in the house with dysfunction and chaos. And, you know, when I got older, and uh, I would walk out the front porch. It's kind of like I saw more of the same and it was regular and it felt normal. It felt like love. You know, I got I got hit at home and then, you know, in the streets, you violence is a part of the camaraderie and it's um, something that you have to be a part of. And I definitely um, fell into that mm -hmm. all the way. You know, I thought that was love because honestly, I don't think I knew any better. I, I, I was numb at a young age and the only outlet that I had to exert myself or my feelings was through physical violence. And, you know, the gang gave me the opportunity to do that. You know, at 18 and a half, I went to prison. I got a five-year prison sentence for multiple, um, for crime spree, multiple robberies. And, you know, prison was more of the same. It was more violence. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't foreign to me, you know, in there as well. And, you know, I went through that journey being in prison and, and seeing more of the same and still kind of not knowing what love is, mm -hmm. you know, seeing the 
the conditional love that we have in, in the streets and in, in the gangs that, you know, we love you and we accept you only if, yeah. you know, only if you do this, if you do that, you mess up, you know, mm-hmm. so what we're going to end up hurting you. And, and, you know, as an adult and as, as regular people, we know that's not love at all, mm-hmm. not anything close to it, but, you know, I was caught in that cycle and it's a vicious cycle. And, um, when I got out of prison, you know, that's a whole nother transition that was extremely hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was conditioned to think a certain way, you know, even though I was quote unquote free, I still had a, a prisoner mentality. I had a prisoner state of mind. I had a, a street state of mind. And even though I'm out in the free world, you know, I constrain myself to a certain thought process, to a certain way of living and to a certain way of thinking. And I ended up getting more of the same because, um, you know, my gang identity became my primary identity. I didn't have anything else. That's what I had worked for. You know, I had put in my time, sweat and tears and the transition to trying to get a regular job and trying to, you know, make it in, society is hard especially when you come from a background that just feeds your pride and ego Mm -hmm. every day Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to deal with that so you know the way I dealt with that is you know one I still kept all my ties my street ties and you know I was still involved in certain ways because I couldn't let it go I thought if I let it go I would let go like a part of me that I didn't know how to be myself I didn't I wasn't comfortable in my own skin I never really have been until recently and so I just kept on proliferating more of the same and I ended up getting more of the same and you know everything would hit a breaking point for me in Denver you know there's an interesting part of part of my story is I ended up moving to San Antonio because I needed to get out of Los Angeles to um, discharge my parole And I had never um, known my dad and my dad reached out to me and he said, hey, if you need a place to get away, you can come with me and, and, you know, we can try and get your life together. And, you know, I had to take him up on that offer because I had no other choice. It was really like life or death. It was either go back to prison or go. And I guess, you know, try and get to know my dad. And I ended up going to Texas and I got to know him and you know, that was a big part of my journey just to see him as a regular person and and to accept him with his faults and, and really to realize that even though he wasn't around, I finally got to feel um, his love for me. And that was a big part of my journey. But even then, I still was like trapped in my own ego and my own persona, my own, you know, reputation. And, you know, eventually it had to break. And that's what ended up happening. And that happened out here in Denver, Colorado. You know, I moved out here, me and my brother. My brother um, called me one day, said he needed a roommate. He wanted to try and win a gold medal. Um, I told him, yeah. And I thought it would be easy. Like, yeah, we'll go to Denver, we'll figure it out. And it was probably the hardest time of my life. It was harder than prison. It was harder than my childhood. You know, I had never respected mental health you know, when people talk about mental health, reading self-help books, I was like, man, those, who are those? Like, didn't make sense to me because I had ignored all of my issues for so long. And finally in Denver, when I was here by myself, 
I didn't have any distractions. I didn't have, you know, the things that the things in front of me to keep my mind busy from going inside. And, you know, everything hit the fan. You know, I ended up through the years building a drinking problem. That was the only way that I knew how to deal with my problems. I would just drink them away and, you know, it went to full blown, you know, alcoholism. And I did get a DUI. I went to jail and I got fired from three jobs. I mean, when it's rock bottom, it's rock bottom and rock bottom comes and hits you from all different angles Mm -hmm. until you learn your lesson. And, um, got fired from one job, fired from another job. My girlfriend left me. Uh, it was just everything, my world crashing down and, I always thought I was strong. I always thought I was a fighter. And I've, I, I, you know, I am a fighter, but a mental fight is nothing you can approach with brute force. Mm-hmm. You know, the more I try to approach it with pride and ego, it's like the more I would get broken down. And, you know, it was painful um, to the point. I get emotional every time. So um, it was painful to the point where I just wanted it to stop. Mm-hmm. And. I didn't know how to live moving forward. You know, I didn't, I had no idea how I would be able to live. So I just thought that it'd be easier to take my own life. And, you know, going through that thought process on a daily basis of when are you going to do it? When is it going to happen? You know, just do it already. It's, it's intense, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it's hell, hell on earth. And you know, it's not that I didn't want to live. It's just that I, that if living entailed going through that mental struggle every day, I just knew that I couldn't do it. And, you know, my release was when finally, you know, I didn't know what to do and I'm going through this internal mental struggle and it's just beating me down every day, you know, And I'm really on the brink of taking my own life. And, you know, I felt that there was one last place I could go to. And that place was God. And I cried out to God and I wept and I apologized for everything I had ever done. Mm -hmm. I was never sorry for the crimes I had committed. You know, I was I really lacked remorse. And, you know, in that moment of desperation is kind of what freed me, because in that moment I was broken all the way down. Mm You know, I couldn't do anything on my own. I couldn't get over this mental struggle on my own. I couldn't keep a job. I couldn't, I had a, an addiction that I had no control over. And I was completely in a position of true surrender. And that's what I did. I said, I was sorry. I surrendered. And I believe in that moment, you know, I won and my life began to change. That's incredible. And so really religion has helped you get out of that hole. And, and what else too? Um, support system, family, friends, therapy, treatment centers. What else helped you uh, reclaim your life? Well, definitely getting sober. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Um, you know, none of this happens without, you know, definitely going on that journey. And um, it was my faith is definitely the biggest thing that kept me going. And it keeps me going every day. Um, my faith gives me the ability to believe in a process of getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, I have to believe in it and, you know, because of that moment of faith, I was like, Hey, I need help. 
you know, I was able to reach out for help. I started talking about my problems. I started talking about my problems with Ralph, my brother, and um, the whole world started opening up for me. You know, I had to change. Like the the person I was, like moving forward, it was just untenable to keep on living life that way. It would have ended one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had those realizations like, hey, the whole way I was living was wrong. <laughs> and that's a hard it's a hard realization. And okay, so how do I go moving forward? And, you know, one of the basic fundamentals was to talk about my issues, but to a be completely honest. Mm-hmm. It's like I had built a persona off of a lie off of a protection that I wanted to protect me because I couldn't be myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fundamental building block for me is just being honest and transparent. And, you know, that's worked for me. Um, As far as like, you know, the daily things, I mean, I read every day, I meditate, I pray, like I do have to do those things. Um, Because if I don't do those things, like, um, you know, you feel off and you feel off for a reason. So, but the biggest thing is that I believe in those processes. Yeah. And I love that you said, I got to the point where I had to reach out for help. And that's yeah. so hard because society does not encourage us to reach out for help. It really encourages us to do everything on our own and to smile while we're doing it and to be okay with it. And asking for help um, can often be perceived as, oh, I feel weak for asking for help. But that's why I'm glad you said I had to reach for help. And why is that so hard for so many people to do? I mean, I mean, you hit it on the nail. Society tells you, hey, you could do it all on your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, the way we're built, it's not built that way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're built to rely on each other, to talk to each other and to help each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do, especially, I mean, I don't know, in other societies, in American societies, it's, it's like, hey, you know, get it done, get it. You don't need any help move forward. This is what success looks like and power through. But the fact is every successful person that I know needs help. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, once, once you accept that you need help, guess what happens? You start getting the help Mm -hmm. and life becomes a lot easier because it wasn't meant for you to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're fed, we're fed a narrative as to where a, I can do it all on my own, which it's completely false. I mean, everybody needs a team. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs support. Yeah. Yeah. And not being afraid to ask for it. And I'm trying personally as a therapist to change the stigma of being help as being perceived as being weak. I think it's one of the strongest things you can do is like you said, no one can do life on their own. We need people. We're social creatures. Asking for help is normal. It should be normalized. And whether it's help babysitting your kids or help with a drug or alcohol addiction, you know, we all need someone who's been there who can walk us through it. And um, I'm so glad you were able to to find that help. What I loved about your story, too, is you had said you were on the brink of suicide. And mm-hmm. then you realized that you had inherent value as a person outside right. of what you had done in the past, outside of mistakes you've made, and that your story had meaning. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about kind of when you had that revelation? Yeah, I mean, that revelation is what kept me going you know like when you have those suicidal thoughts it's not like hey you say a prayer they're gone the next day uh it's a process and and it's a journey in and of itself but the thing that kept me going was you know I was broken down like I said to 
to like my essence. Mm-hmm. And what was my essence? My essence just, hey, man, I'm just a person, but that's enough. Yeah. I'm a person with inherent value. What does that mean? It means that I don't need any accolades. I don't need any accomplishments. I don't need anything but to just be me. Mm-hmm. And that's enough. Yes. Okay, so then extend that. If my life has inherent value, that means my story has just as much value and I should treat it with the same type of reverence. Yes. That's so, you know, that simple truth, mm-hmm. which most of us agree upon, yep. is what kept me going. And, you know, when when you're broken all the way down, you got to get back to the basics. And, you know, that basic truth, a lot of people don't know. They're not reminded of it enough. Like your story, like we know our lives have value, yep. but we have to apply that same value to our very own stories. Yes. And I usually, let's see. Um Man, I don't think I have it. I usually have a big sign out here. It says you are enough. I don't have it now, of course, but I love that because like you said, you are inherently worthy and good enough just by being a person that you are. I feel a lot of us, there's a lot of pressure to be perfect or to measure up to this impossible standard. And and you're right, just being enough, you are inherently good enough just being yourself. And not a right. lot of people realize that. Right, right. Yeah, it's powerful. I mean, you you know, if you if you believe it, believe the same thing about your story. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, behavior should change, you know, your yeah. perception of yourself should change and then your perception of other people should change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love, too, how you mentioned the social aspect of it. And especially for being a former gang member, I've heard a lot of people say people are attracted to gangs because it's a family. You yeah. know, as dysfunctional as it might be, it's that family Uh, Where do you find family now since you are no longer affiliated with any gangs? Well, I mean, I still have a lot of friends who are gang members. They're in their Mm -hmm. story, too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, their stories still have value. And, you know, I do keep in contact. And, you know, I know that where they're at in their story as gang members, man, there's so many factors. And um, I accept them as they are. Um, Where do I find my family now with my family? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Um, You know, after that, like when I knew I needed help, it's like uh, going back to the basics. Who's who who's been there the entire time? You know, who's been there from the beginning? And I reached I started reaching back out to them and really rebuilding my relationships and focusing on the people who want the best for me. You know, um, not the people who just want to party and other people who just want to have a good time, not the people who just want to make a dollar, you know, and um once you see that, like you start feeling the love, the acceptance, and and it builds your heart, it builds your soul, and it and it reaffirms your faith in other people. Because if those people are good, there's got to be other good people. There's got to be more people like them. And you know, once I was able to do that, then you know, I was able to start forming even more meaningful friendships and relationships outside of my blood family. And what kind of advice would you give to someone who's really maybe at a low point in their life right now uh, and feeling hopeless about the future, feeling like it's not going to get any better? I've ruined my life. I, I'm, I'm a waste. What would you tell them? Well, you're not a waste. Um, you haven't ruined your life. Um, we all hit bumps in the road. It gets tough for a lot of us. But the fact of the matter is um, you're still alive. You're still breathing. You know, are you here for a reason or not? That's a huge decision you got to make. I don't just believe I know that person is here for a reason. Um, 
and to just keep going. Like we said before, you don't have to do anything else than just be and accept yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell people when, when we first started, we are all one story. I always tell people when I'm trying, when I was trying to give them the concept and the idea, I said, you know, when we watch the news and we watched that uh, Boeing 747 crash. Do we talk about how much the plane cost or do we talk about the lives on the plane? Mm-hmm. When the buildings at 9-11 collapsed, are we here talking about the numbers and the concrete and uh, how much money was lost? No, we talk about the lives because we, all of us do know deep down that the most important thing is human life. It's your soul, it's your being, it's your innermost person. Like you have that already. Mm-hmm. Once you realize that, then, you know, start the process on um, doing the things you got to do to get better. Yeah. But things do get better, but you have to intently go on that path as well. It doesn't, you know, you can't wish it to existence. Yes. Yep. That's what a lot of people, especially when they come to therapy, like you said, you can't just wish or dream or hope to change. You have to put in the work and the work is not easy and it's very difficult no. and, right. but it's so worth it on the other side. It is 100%. Now tell us a little bit more about, uh, we are all one story. What is it? What, why did you create this? What is your goal with it? So, yeah, I mean, we are all one story came after that, you know, that, surrender moment for me when when all I had was myself and figuring out if that was enough and knowing you know and really latching on to that truth that my value is inherent Mm -hmm. therefore my story has value okay how do I make that how do I make that idea that can be a little abstract how do you make it concrete Mm -hmm. you know and the way to do that is to go and listen to people's stories and share them and remind them that their story has meaning because they have meaning and you know we are all one story came from that place of like desperation you know when I started listening to people's stories I was still in my depression Mm -hmm. it's just my back was against the wall like I had to I had to start working immediately Mm -hmm. and um every time I told someone that you know you as a person have inherent value that means your story has value. It's like an echo back to myself. Mm-hmm. And it happens every time I listen to somebody's story, every time I go and talk, every time, you know, I talk about what we're doing. I know that it helps me and it's part of what keeps me here. And it's just trying to share that and help other people realize that, hey, you know, you're a lot more meaningful than you think. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. And and you share a variety of stories on the website too. Just incredible, incredible stories, including your brother as well, who did he co-found this with you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, Ralph has been, um, you know, with me from the beginning. I remember when I I, I started talking about my issues, first Mm -hmm. off, like I was like, hey man, if I'm gonna keep on going, like we can't, I can't hold this in. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to him about, you know, what I was going through and, he looked at me like his eyes got open. He was like, man, I'm going through the same thing, (laughs) you know? And, you know, he really, he's really encouraged me throughout this whole time. You know, Ralphie lost both his legs in Afghanistan. Um, He's an American hero and he's a Paralympic gold medalist. And I remember when I told him about, you know, the whole project, he said he was all in, you know, because, um, 
you know, in his story, a little bit of his story, you know, Ralph ended up winning a gold medal. And even then he felt that his story didn't have value. Mm. So if an American hero, Paralympic gold medalist, you know, can lose the value in his own story when he has the accolades and the accomplishments, Mm -hmm. you know, how much more easy is it for us to lose our own value? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I pitched it to him, you know, he was all in and he told me that whatever you need me to do, I'll do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're on this journey together, uh, you know, along with my little brother, Roger. Ah, nice. Yeah. And it's really, people are, are so much more than, again, their past, you know, people Mm -hmm. could easily look at you and say, oh, okay, gang member, what does he know? And that's why I work with a lot of people too, who've come from really tough backgrounds, maybe overcoming child abuse or alcoholism or drug addiction, or maybe they were violent or got mixed up in the wrong crowd. But I've seen such beauty in people turning their stories around, opening a new chapter, and you are not your past. You are who you are now and who you're going to be in the future. And I just, I love stories like that because some of the most resilient people I know, best humans I know, have had some of the hardest pasts to deal with. So it's it's wonderful to hear stories like that. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Um, now, what, I always ask everyone on this show this, what is the best life advice or kind of mantra that you like to live your life by? Mantra. I mean, every day I pray for strength, wisdom, and grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when it comes to, you know, getting things done, you know, faith, work, and humility. I feel those are the the building the building blocks of success. You know, mm-hmm. you have to believe in your work, mm-hmm. and you have to be humble going about your business. Mm-hmm. And you know, those are the things that I consistently tell myself on a day to day basis. Yes. And then, what do you do behind the scenes? I know you'd mentioned a few earlier, such as the meditating and and praying, um, but mm-hmm. to really keep your head in a right frame of mind especially if you're having a bad day, how do you get right? Um, If I don't feel like talking to anybody, I'll write. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it does, it feels just the same. Mm -hmm. Um, I have (laughs) volumes of journals, I mean, Uh um, but I write, you know, I am a writer and it's, it's definitely, um, it helps me. It eases me. It eases my my thoughts, my anxieties. When I let it all out, I put it on papers, therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. But I make sure that when I write, one, I'm real with myself. It's just me and me. And um, but I end it on a positive note. Like mm-hmm. I write down how it is. Like man, this is what's happening. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. But then I end it on you know on an uptick or at least on a neutral tick. You know, I don't write and. I'm not here to write all the negative and all that stuff. I just write it how it is. And then I end on a positive note and that always helps me. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. Yeah. Cause again, it's, it's important to be positive and not just, Oh, smile through it. Everything's going to be okay. (laughs) But I mean, yeah, there are really sad, difficult moments in life. And I I think acknowledging that is it's necessary. And I also think it's necessary to, like you said, end on, if you can't think of anything positive, at least be neutral or find something each day to be grateful for, because we all Mm -hmm. are so incredibly blessed. There's always, always something just grateful for the gift of waking up and breathing another day. If you can't think of anything else, I think that's so important. So I love that you do that. Would you ever publish your journals or are they uh, (laughs) for your eyes only? 
I mean, we got the first book coming out in February. We'll see oh, how that does. And then yeah. hey, maybe maybe people will want to read the journals. Yeah. So tell us about your book. <laughs> what is uh, what is that going to be about? So the book is called Love, Faith and Violence, A True Song and Story. So pretty much um, it's a memoir starting from my youth all the way to my release from prison and pretty much intermeshing all those. Those were the big themes in my life, you know, and um, making sense of it all, you know, um, writing it how it was, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly yeah. and ending that part in in a high note, you know, um, it's a story of forgiveness and redemption, forgiving my mom for, you know, the abuse, forgiving my dad for leaving, and then finding a way to forgive myself for the things that I had done. Yeah. And, you know, it's really a journey, not just into my life, but into my own heart. Wow. And that's launching in February. Correct. Correct. Um, and if people want to order the book, where can they find that at? So you'll be able to get the book on our website. We are all one story.net. And then we'll have it up on our Instagram shop as well. Perfect. So if people want to follow along with your story, um, do you have any other social media links outside of we are all one story.net? Uh, we are all one story.net Instagram. We are all one story. Facebook. We are all one story. TikTok, We're all one story. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and a little bit of insight into how you overcame all of this. And I would love for everyone to, to purchase your book and to follow along and dive even deeper into your story because we can all learn something from what you've gone through and you have such a positive light. And I love, uh, the we are all one story website there's some incredible um stories on there as well so please check check that out check out the book when it comes out and i'm really excited to watch your career and, and what you do in the future too and hopefully get into some speaking gigs in person again i'm sure you miss um, <laughs> sure. social life right yeah definitely <laughs> so excellent well thank you again for your time today and everyone encourage you to go check out more about jose Thank you for sharing your story and have a happy, awesome. healthy new year. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Kelly's Reality. If you can't wait until our next session, you can find more information, articles, and advice on my blog at kellysreality.com. I'm also located on social media at the same handles. Now get off my couch, go home, and I'll see you at the next appointment.